Josh and Frankie with a couple of dumb shits. Hello, primates! You found Primus Tracks, congratulations! Wow, after a long hiatus in which Frankie was traveling the world and I was uh, working on my van because, you know, that you know makes a difference as far as the podcast goes. We are back! I am Josh. I am here in my bunker in Southern Oregon. Uh, he has returned, I should say, to the 38th floor of Primus Tracks Towers in Mexico City. It's Frankie Berestein. Hi, Josh. Whew, welcome back, Frankie. The energy's up because here we are. Primus Tracks is back. Frankie, I know you had quite a quite an experience in the United States and uh, yes, listeners, no, primates. I love the USA. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, primates, you're going to hear more about that <laughs> uh, later in the week. We're going to drop two episodes on you this week uh, as our making up for it, making up for it, our way of saying thank you for your patience. Uh, and then we're going to get back into Les Claypool and the Holy Mackerel presents Highball with the Devil. We have a few things to take care of before we get into today's episode, uh, which is uh, serving as a bit of an intermission to the Holy Mackerel record. We are going to revisit our live show dissections. Is it live show or legendary show, Frankie? Legendary show dissection. Unintentionally turned out to be LSD. We swear it was completely unintended. I think it's appropriate today because we are going to revisit a show that takes people places. We are discussing, we've talked about it so many times on this here podcast, and Frankie has alluded to it over and over and over again. And we're finally going to talk about it in detail. It is the Seahawks exhibition show from Hallucinogenetics, June 2nd, 2004. Ooh, wow. Yes. Uh, have a seat, get comfortable. Uh, because it's going to blow you away. Got a few things to take care of before we get there. Uh, first things first, we have a five-star review, Frankie. Awesome. Those are most welcome. Yes, and I haven't had an opportunity to read some in a while. So there's a bunch of ways you, uh, wonderful primates, can leave a five-star review. You can go to Apple Podcast if you are an Apple Podcast user. Leave a five-star review there. You can also uh, email it to us, primistrackspod at gmail.com. You could... DM on us, uh, you could DM us on Instagram or Twitter or threads. There's this new thing called threads. I signed us up because why the hell not? Uh, DM us on one of those services with your five star review and we will read it right here. This five star review comes from Greg in Oregon via Instagram who says, Wow, I just discovered your podcast. I'm going to pause there. He didn't just discover it today, Frankie. This message is a couple of months old almost, and I told oh. him I would read it on the podcast. So this is about six weeks old. Uh, Greg says, wow, I just discovered your podcast, the first podcast I've ever subscribed to about two weeks ago, and I'm already Thank past you. pork soda. I got to find my wow. ticket stub photo album. Somewhere in there is a stub from the Omni in Oakland around 88, as well as the Bay Area Thrash Awards and probably others. I hung out with bikers back in the 80s, so I know I saw less with the Tommy Crank Band back then, before I knew who he was. They played a lot of biker events. My good friend saw them at DVC at least twice. Been learning a lot about this amazing group of musicians from you guys. Five stars. Thank you, Greg in Oregon. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. This guy got to see less with the Tommy Crank Band. That is incredible. Uh, unless he was an infant, uh, Greg's been around for a while. 
and he's seen some things. So, Greg, thank you for witness <laughs> the legendary Les Paul. That beautiful Ray Wing guitar. Greg, uh, thank you so much for, for messaging. Greg also sent a few uh, handbills for Bay Area shows, mostly with uh, thrash bands headlining that that Primus played support for. So there are all these great artifacts. So maybe we'll post those on the Instagram as well. So that's our five-star review. Uh, we also have somebody who has purchased uh, access, I, sh- I should say, or admission to, or otherwise uh, wants to get on Captain Shiner's yacht, Frankie. Uh, I want to thank Jeff Hall for his generous donation. Uh, Jeff, you can redeem your access to Captain Shiner's yacht anytime. Frankie got his captain's license. Thank and you we'll very t- much. He'll, he'll take you for a ride. Anytime you want. Now, Frankie, you're not Captain Shiner, but you are allowed no. to pilot his watercraft. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to clear that up. Frankie, not Captain Shiner, but he gets to pilot the boat. Jeff Hall, thank you so much. So if you want to support the podcast as well, a couple of ways to do that. Uh, you could use the PayPal uh, email address, which is primustrackspot at gmail.com if you're interested in uh, helping us with our server costs. And, of course, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Primus Tracks uh, to support Josh and Frankie d- directly and get all kinds of cool rewards in return. Oh, there's one more thing, Frankie. Miscellaneous debris just entered my mind. Oh. I went and did it. Should I have? I don't know. I set up a Google Voice uh, mailbox for us, Frankie, and... Um, Soya is behind this. He's not here today, but he's behind this 100%. Uh, so we have a Google Voice mailbox uh, that I have dubbed the Ask Soya box. So if you ever have a question for Soya, you could email us, primustrackspod at gmail.com. If you want to hear your own voice on the podcast for some zany reason, all you have to do is dial 337-514-7692. It goes straight to a voicemail announcement uh with me, so you'll hear my voice. Uh, but once you hear the beep, leave your question or praise, wonderful memory that you have of Tim Sawyer after the beep, and uh, we'll play it on the podcast. And in the near future, we're going to do an Ask Sawyer episode. So I'd love to load up with questions for Sawyer that he can answer on the podcast uh, after listening to a bevy of voicemails. We already have one or two in the hopper, and I'm pretty excited to get more. So one more time, that's 337-514-7692. International dialers, make sure you dial a one before all those numbers. By the way, Frankie, uh, I I would assume it's similar in Mexico, but on your push-button phone, there's a bunch of letters above the numbers, right? Yes. Uh, So on my phone, 7692, the, the letter combinations, you can spell Soya. Oh, that's fantastic. So I had to do that for him. <laughs> so 337-514-SOYA is the Ask Soya hotline. You can drop a question there anytime. That's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, I might call in drunk a couple of times and ask some questions, Frankie, at 2 in the morning. And, and Frankie, maybe you could disguise your voice and ask him some questions, too. I just may may do that. Uh, I, I can I can just hear Frankie calling in, and I'm I'm gonna know it's you. But if you call in and go, this is Carl. Carl, <laughs> question for Sawyer. <laughs> Be exciting stuff. Uh, all right, so 
all that great stuff. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, thank you, Greg from Oregon. And thank you, Soya, for being game for the Ask Soya hotline. We are talking about a legendary show. We're going to dissect it today. Seahawks exhibition show, June 2, 2004. This is Primus on the Hallucinogenetics Tour. Uh, Frankie, can you give us an overview? What are we going to get into today? Okay, prior to discussing the show itself, Josh, I was interested in getting the, the context cleared up with you. Maybe you are more familiar with this venue. I don't know. So I was trying to search for an actual photograph of the venue, and I think I might have found it, but there's a bit of confusion here. Because when you search for the Seahawks Exhibition Hall, you get some results about an exhibition center. And according to the internet, the Seahawks Stadium was called that way when it opened in 2002. But it is currently named Lumen Field. Right. So I see a photograph of what appears to be a venue, and a medium-sized venue for, for all kinds of events. But it's it's labeled Lumen Field. Right. Could it be that this is where the concert took place back in two thousand four? I believe so. I have been to that stadium complex uh, a number of years ago now. But I walked through a huge indoor space uh, adjacent to or right inside the stadium itself, and it looked like that may be the space uh, that. Uh, Primus played there. Now, the, the stadium has changed names a couple of times, but at the time, um, I think it was Seahawks Exhibition Hall. And then, of course, they threw out some sponsorship things. So it's Lumen. What I don't know what it is now, but Lumen. Okay. So um, it was in use to, uh, it was in use on game day when I went to a Seattle Seahawks uh, professional football game. So what I am assuming from the name of the venue at the time is that as well as hosting the the venue for for the concerts, they also had an, an exhibition going on related to all the Seahawks memorabilia, right? I couldn't tell you that. I have no idea, but it's it's a it's a decent inference. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so all you right. could you could walk around and look at uh, Seattle Seahawks legendary uh, players. I guess I don't know say hi to Steve Largent, and then say, hey, gotta go, Steve. I'm going to see Primus, <laughs> I guess, or something like that. Are you asking because you wonder if the acoustics of that place uh, are contributing to what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, I was wondering um, how much the actual location influenced the tone that we hear on the show, which I think is quite unique, and it really stands out to the rest of the recordings. You would assume that because these are soundboards, all of them would sound the same. But in reality, each of these shows has a very, very particular sound. And what I think makes Seahawks stand out, well, not only the performance, which is amazing, and the song and the track selection, but just the fact that the tone, uh, the sound that they achieved at this show, I think it's unlike anything else I've ever heard in terms of live recordings from the band. It certainly does stand out in that regard. Uh, and for context, of course, we're talking about the Hallucinogenetics Tour. Uh, Primus had gone on the Tour de Fromage in 2003 and into 2004. Playing and they decided to extend the tour by performing Frizzle Fry in its entirety. 
Right. Uh, this so, tour was much short. This leg was much shorter than than Tour de Fromage, but uh, they did cover quite quite a decent amount of of places, and it did spawn the live DVD. Yes, it did the Hallucinogenetics live DVD. So we had the Reformation. <laughs> you know, this remember this was the first time in 2003, uh, the first time in four years Prim- Primus had done anything. And it was the first time in eight years that it was the trio of Les, Larry, and Tim uh, doing anything. So 2003 was a big year. And uh, and Frankie, I've mentioned it before that I went to the Chicago and Milwaukee uh, Fromage shows. And the yes. energy was just incredible. Uh, people were just out of their minds. And the wailing and gnashing of teeth and the the riding in the streets was just nuts for for primus you know at these venues and uh they were just greeted by these raucous crowds who were so happy to see them again uh so they did what 40 odd dates i think for uh fromage and then uh, turned around a couple of months later and decided well we played caesar cheese in its entirety let's play frizzle fry in its entirety and they had a smaller run uh for those shows this one is only the fourth show in the run uh, so I do wonder, was the band yes. playing around with settings uh, and pedals and that sort of thing? Because they, they had been selling these soundboards um, on PrimusLive.com, our dearly departed PrimusLive.com. <laughs> I had to go on the Wayback Machine, Frankie, the other night and get some stills from it because mm-hmm. I was missing it, something fierce. Uh, but yes, uh, your point that these soundboards generally sound consistent uh, city to city, night to night, performance to performance – they generally do, but there is something special about this one. Although I, I don't use the word special to describe it. I use the word evil. Yes. Uh, just given the tonality <laughs> of what's happening. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe they went to the fisherman's market in Seattle and got some really good sushi grade tuna and that amped them all up, uh, for this night. I, I couldn't tell you, but they, this is a very if we, special one. If we also analyze the timeline, it is located between two legendary presentations because the night prior they performed Portland Metropolitan Expo Center. Another show with a very peculiar sound, a really interesting set list, and to date, the only instance where they have performed a full YYZ before to defy the loss of tradition. Oh, nice. Then... <laughs> We have Seahawks, and then the following show is none other but the legendary Red Rocks performance from 2004, where they went completely overtime <laughs> with the set list. So it is a strategic place between two more legendary shows, which just speaks volumes about the quality of this tour. When you can pick so many incredible performances night to night, I think you're looking at a very special run of shows. Yeah, this Hallucinogenetics has a lot of great performances and, and of course, as you, as you say, legendary venues. Uh, I did, when I looked at the Wayback Machine, uh, they, what they showed uh, on the left-hand side is they showed the top five downloads um, for, for a certain set of days. And this Berkeley show from May 30th, 2004 was in the top five uh, for all the snapshots I looked at. So that one was an extremely popular uh, download as well. So this Hallucinogenetics yes. tour had that Berkeley, uh, Portland, Seattle, Red Rocks. What a run. Uh, they played Bonnaroo that year, and a lot of people cite that one as a, a great performance. And Japan for the last time. 
Right. And and the Fuji Rock Festival, uh, July 31st, 2004. Um, and then, of course, prior to that, they had wound up Hallucinogenetics in Chicago, Illinois on June 26th, which was uh, the DVD recording as well. Amazing. A lot of great stuff. And they played Radio City Music Hall in New York. My gosh, they what a tour. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they had a great couple of Incredible. years there, not three, not four. Uh, so really big things happening with the Primus Reformation and playing Seas of Cheese in its entirety and then Frizzle Fry in its entirety and just taking people back and going out there without an opener and, and playing two legitimate sets. Um, you know, they were doing two and a half hours just themselves, uh, give or take. And that's, that's pretty freaking great, you know, and with the production values that they were putting behind it. Some shows did reach the three hour mark. What a great tour. Interesting bit of trivia, Josh. Yeah. Just before I forget, Maurice Caldwell Jr. sat in during Seahawks 2004 to tell some jokes. And if you look up his resume, other than some musical contributions, he's also credited with the illustration for the Bucket of Bernie Brains album, The Big Guy Ball in the Sky. The cover art he is? It makes... Yes, that's right. And I think his intervention makes sense in the timeline, considering that Les jumped right into the bucket of Bernie Brain's tour as soon as this was as, as soon as the Primus one was finished. Oh yeah. I, I suppose they would have already cut the record uh before Primus went back out. I think that was the timeline. I think they put that record together in just a couple weeks at Les's house and then Primus went out of the road and then the record was ready and Bernie Brains went out of the road. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, so Maurice telling some jokes on stage uh, <laughs> is logical in that aspect, I guess. <laughs> I suppose so. And by the way, uh, we our source material is uh, the uh, soundboard uh, recording from PrimusLive.com, which is now posted to YouTube, not by us, but by somebody else. And uh, if you search for Primus, Seattle, Washington, 6204, it'll come right up. And you'll be able to hear this soundboard recording. So uh, the time codes that you're going to hear are relevant uh, to that YouTube posting. Just one last thing. <laughs> yeah, about it, you sound Josh. like Columbo. If you notice the cover art. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the cover <laughs> art. Tell us about that guy. Art. So we see this guy with like this really incredible mustache, right? Which looks um, untest worthy. And I guess it was because I don't know if you recall on the Blame It on the Fish DVD, there's a portion where you can see some kind of vintage mustache custom thing going on. And you can see these guys with these really incredible mustaches and beard. Do you recall that segment? I do, because I, I think I recall that Adam and Zoltron were just goofing around at that convention and taking a lot of video. And I think they became fascinated with... Uh, very long and very coiffed and styled facial hair. <laughs> so I know that uh, yes. I know, and of course Zoltron yes. Zoltron did all the work uh, artwork for the soundboard recordings that were burned and sold right after the show. You could exit the venue, go to the merch booth, and buy the CD of that night's soundboard recording and purchase and, your show. And purchase your show as you walked out, or you could go to the website and buy it after the Insane. fact digitally. Uh, and they they also provided uh, this cover art and tray inlay business uh, with your download. And so Zoltron did sixty odd 
uh, different designs for each show, and he decided to do this uh, this beard guy, and I forget his name, Jim Jim Chevalier, I think, or something like that. And of course, he used this guy in this photo, of, and this particular photo of this guy was the basis for some Zoltron pieces later on, uh, where he had some uh, skull iconography and and bearded skulls and bearded people with top hats and that sort of thing, looking pretty darn fancy. Uh, and how, believe yeah. it or not. Believe it or not, I have a really crazy first time that I saw Primus live 10 years ago. Uh, you recall how I had a backstage pass that I won through an online competition. Yeah. I vividly remember going backstage and before they came out to sign the autographs and take pictures, there were all kinds of crew members and people walking by. I recognized Brad. Um, I think I spotted a couple of familiar faces as well that we still see on the road nowadays. And I saw a couple of guys with those crazy mustaches walking around. So I don't know if they became part of the crew or what, but I was really amazed that they were there. I don't know if if one of them, it could be the guy from the cover. I'm not sure, but they did have crazy facial hair. Oh, that's a good question for Soya. He might know who uh, uh, was sporting crazy facial hair with Primus. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> maybe maybe those uh, mustaches were inspirational to Les on those tours, and that's why he was jamming things out so well. It very well could be. That's a lot of testosterone at work, Frankie. I should know. <laughs> so Seattle, Washington, June 2nd, 2004, Hallucinogenetics Tour. It looks like we're opening up with Here Come the Bastards. Here come the bastards, and how about setting some tone by listening to the intro? what's going on there if if they were just all on hot mics or the soundboard was really peaking that night but dang that is thunderous right off the gate is pure aggression right yeah wow that tone is fan freaking tastic the drums uh, are so powerful yeah and that's what always every now i don't listen to a lot of live recordings i will put that out there now but when i come back to this one i'm always blown away by how uh, crunchy this soundboard is because even on the f- yes. fromage and genetics ones none of them even come this close this is pure power and it must it must be a combination of both things right i mean the the way 
the venue was set up for the recording, the acoustics, but also the performance itself. I think they are really, really going for the aggression. Maybe they just woke up and chose violence that day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to quote the kids. <laughs> well, let's hear the bridge too, because of course- The bridge that's is always interesting because yeah. you never know uh, what crazy thing Les is going to do with the bass, right? Well, he it's feels it seems like he's feeling his oats this night, so I can't wait to hear it. They come. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a great uh, curveball there to throw in. <laughs> Here they come. I've played this song a million times. Here they come. Uh, that's great. Uh, and it's funny because I was expecting because of the aggressive tone that they're setting, uh, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to and then just go wild. Exactly. But he, exactly. Uh, because that, that happened so many times during the tour and ever since, right? But yeah. it's interesting how they just went for something completely unexpected, like something rather melodic, right? Very atmospheric. Yeah. Brought it down uh, to that to that level. Wow. Uh, and, then, and then here they come is how I'm going to start uh, yelling it at the shows now, though, because that is infectious. <laughs> um, so they're already uh, playing with the audience, playing with each other and having a lot of fun. And I think one of the things is in recent years, we know that uh, Tim Alexander has been using smaller symbols and they kind of mute them a bit with I, I don't remember what's behind the symbol on uh, Tim's racks, but when he hits a symbol it fades a lot more quickly than it normally would because there's something on the back yes. to uh, uh, take on that vibration. So yes. when you're hearing those crash cymbals in this mix, though, they are nice and loud and strong. And so there's a bit of a wash. So I think that's contributing to what we're hearing here. But my God, that Carl Thompson sounds great. And Larry is crunchy on uh, fire on this one. What's next? American life is always fascinating in terms of the jam portion. So let's hear how they were jamming this song in particular that night, which I think is really interesting because you wouldn't normally equate American life with aggression, right? 
Not necessarily until the very end, right? Our favorite I mean, part. Exactly, exactly, until, until the coda. Yeah. But in this case, um, I think even the jam was kind of uh, in your face. So let's check it out. was doing something really cool there uh along with what les was doing and that yes because uh, often larry will kind of stay off to the side and just give you little bits and hints there but he was front and center on that one the other thing i'm noticing frankie is that uh remember ko said he called the carl thompson basses uh finesse instruments um yes and, and and I thought, oh, that's an interesting descriptor. But, but of course, after thinking about it and knowing that Ko knows what he's talking about, he's correct. Uh, but I hear, so I hear the finesse, but I also hear Les really attacking it tonight here uh, at Seahawks Exhibition Hall. So he's there's more, a, l- a little more grittiness to it tonight because I don't know if he's hitting harder or if he turned up his gain or what in the world's happening. But there is a little more grittiness to it tonight. Yes. And there are, I mean, this is just a highlight, but if you listen to the full track, which is over 10 minutes long, um, there are several sections where what Les is doing with the bass, I mean, it's really interesting because there are some passages that have interesting melodies, like really interesting improvisations, but there are also parts where he lets loose and it's just like very atonal, uh, very noisy kind of, um, it's, it's difficult to describe, like non-music, even for some brief moments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's well, that makes me want to listen to the whole thing. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not known for sitting through, you know, 10 to 14 minute versions of American life, but I probably <laughs> should for this one. I know I've listened to this one in its entirety, but it's I haven't listened to it in a while. Um, I'm go. I'm going to go ahead to the next time code. Eleven minutes and thirty seconds, and I'm going to try to rewards. Yeah, I need to say these time codes so people know where to listen to. Um, Eleven minutes and thirty seconds. Frankie's notes say envelope delight. Oh, I love that song. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> Rad. That's pretty rad. I can get behind that for for envelope filter. Raise your hand if you were delighted. Okay, one, two, six, seven, nine, thirteen. There's a fair number of people here who were delighted by that, Frankie. Nicely done. Uh, Let's check check what the what the coda sounds like because I think it's particularly amazing on this show. Are you saying they're going to surpass that crescendo with this?
poison it up. There's the call down. Boy, that was nice. Um, and then let's move ahead. I, I I didn't go all the way to the outro because I wanted to hear that part. But um, let's see if they can top it at the very end here. Yes. isn't the best American life I've ever heard. It's definitely in the top five or top three. Absolutely mind-blowing performance. Wow. That was gritty. I'm going to keep saying that because all of these sound so gritty. <laughs> but that one <laughs> yeah. uh, certainly carried its weight. Uh, w- with that uh, middle part with the crescendo and then you know, s- still bringing it uh, at the very end so it wasn't anticlimactic you know what a great performance this is so far and we're only 15 minutes into the show yeah wow uh so after american life which is a live staple we get to uh say hi to our friend fats fats fantastic what do you have for this one pal though oh yes my friend fats is is the next one so how about listening to an example of the hell verse. I think this is also an interesting contrast because you have this very aggressive piece of music backed by um, Les doing a, a full falsetto. Right. Let's hear what it sounded like that night. I think he was hitting it. He was pretty close if he wasn't right on. Yes. Nicely done, Les, because I've some of these other soundboards, he's not 
all the way on top of it, we'll say. So good for him. He was he was hitting it tonight. He was dialed in. Uh, and that falsetto is tough. I was actually just talking uh, to my wife about this, who's a very accomplished singer and is damn talented. And she said it's really hard and really difficult. And I'm not saying Les does this, but she's saying it's very difficult to match your singing voice, me, 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 so that you sound the same when you're singing normally as to when you're singing falsetto. Me, 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 me. Obviously, I don't sound the same. But it's, uh, first of all, singing falsetto is super fun because <laughs> I actually can get up there uh, and, and sing those notes that I couldn't normally sing. Um, and plus there's no risk cause you're already doing a silly voice, but the, uh, uh, I just, I'm just a big fan of it, but for people to be able to hit falsetto notes is another thing, you know, singing falsetto is one, but sounding like you're actually singing is another and less did pretty well right there with fats. And what do you think about the, the music? Um, it's a little bit different live, uh, I've noticed and that's fine. I don't, you know, I, it's not like I want them to recreate the, the notes and the record a hundred percent, but, um, I've always liked this one live, even though it doesn't sound exactly like it does on the record. And I'm okay with those variances because maybe they didn't remember it correctly or wanted to change something after the fact or found something that worked better, if that makes sense. Josh, can you give me one second? Yes, I can. Well, Frankie's gone. Um, probably out to get an American Coca-Cola. I can tell you that today's episode is brought to you by YooHoo, the greatest drink of all time. Sorry, I'm back. Excellent. How about uh, the guitar solo, which I think is our favorite part of the song? Let's do it. holds on to that at the end there before going into this part it's so progressive right yeah oh man um i it threw me off a little bit that solo did but then when he he went into the part um that that ascends 
Um, man, and I love that part on the record because there's so much pathos into it. And I don't normally think of Larry as a, 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 an emotional guitar player or one who elicits a lot of emotions in his playing, but this one always does for me. Uh, there's just something that lifts it up or and I think I even used the word soaring when we talked about this track mm-hmm. uh, the studio track it does he elevates it there um, and Les was doing something cool under the first part of Larry's solo that he doesn't do on the record so there was a little bit of improv there um, an alteration at least that was quite effective yeah uh, always great to hear those animals tracks animals should not act like people that is uh, tracks in these live performances and um I don't know. I've been saving up my pennies, Frankie, so hopefully I can throw a sack of them at Les and get him to play these songs again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's Fats. That one was great. Uh, and and next we're going to turn our attention to another life staple, good old Mr. Crinkle. Our favorite part, the outro. Oops. Let me get the right uh, time code here. Stop at you, and then I'll say something. Love the outro, always have loved the outro, and as I think I told you last year, Frankie uh, saw Primus and Veil after the South Park show, and I went with an old high school friend of mine who I hadn't seen in probably 15, if not 20 years, and she really dug the show, but the only song she didn't like because of the video content was Mr. Crinkle. She didn't like it. (laughs) And so it made me... (laughs) like the song even more if that were at all possible let's hear the demented outro i went too far back (laughs) let's try that again although i could have just let that play and people would have been pretty happy with it Senior Crinkle! couple of things there i love hearing tim's drumming on that outro uh when he starts to let it go some uh and the other thing i really miss larry's prs because that sounded so porky uh that tone was just absolutely perfect now he's he's getting it back with these gibsons i gotta say uh dan over at gibson custom has larry sounded fantastic these days Uh, but man 
Uh, and and I don't know. We should ask Dan sometime if uh, he was if he was chasing something uh, with the Gibsons he built for for Larry because um, Larry's kind of got that that sound back and it's wonderful. And then after Crinkle, Did you hear? Frankie, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Did you also hear the upright uh, having some kind of effect on it? I, I think it was. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but it didn't sound completely acoustic, right? Um, he always puts, he always makes it a little dirty, especially on crinkle, but, uh, there mm-hmm. was something, you know, I wasn't really listening to the upright all that closely, so he could have put something on there that was unusual. Uh, but that, that upright, especially with this tune and given the tone that they have on this evening, um, in Seattle, this, this was an appropriate selection because this tune is downright scary sometimes, you know, it's, it's not mm-hmm. like horror movie scary, it's clown scary, and that's scary enough uh, for most of us, I think. So <laughs> good good for them for including it. Um, but then after Crinkle, uh, Frankie, we get to turn it up to 11. Amazing. So let's check out the intro for some really compelling drums. Uh-oh, I don't have a time code for the intro. I'm going to have to look for it here. Oh, sorry. It just, that's all right. It just says intro, but we'll find it. <laughs> it's right after Crinkle, right? We should be fine. One hopes. There you go. Ah, Tim's so good. That was nasty. All right, he is so good, man. When he um, when he's on those octobons, just rolling like that, and then coming off of that octobon to to hit some other accents. That man is so precise, uh, and he's always in control. And that's, you know, Soya said that, and, and, and most people who we've talked to who have played with Tim have said he's just always on time, always so precise, and he's, he just hits the, hits the post every single time, you know. And that's something, I think we talked about this um, for the South Park performances, Tim was dialed in, you know, he's playing a bunch of songs he'd never played before, and they didn't rehearse that much from what we know, but he, yeah. he was just hitting every single note um, and was taken every cue, he knew exactly where he was at any given moment, uh, which is difficult to do when you're learning new music. So good for him, man. Gosh sakes. And that just sounded like a wonderful intro. He's he's given it to us. How about 43 minutes and 20 seconds uh, for the epic jam uh, in 11? Which we, we, tend to for, we tend to forget that 11 also gets jammed quite a bit, right? I was just going to say that. I, I, we, we don't normally think of it that way because they, they play it straight a lot, uh, but they can jam it out when they want to. And I guess Seattle got it good again.
Yes. Yes. Yes, that was beautiful. And nothing nothing says Primus like, hey, let's jam out in 11. (laughs) Most bands can't jam out in four. Gosh sakes. That was outstanding. Uh, That's a jam I hadn't heard in some time. That was pretty sweet. Looks like next they played a, a song that you don't normally hear Primus play. A little ditty called My Name is Mud. That's a joke, of course. <laughs> uh, it looks like we're going to 50 minutes and 55 seconds for the guitar solo and the outro. Oh, and we have to count the reps, Frankie, of course. We have to hear how many times uh, they, yes. they run that yes. outro. Let's, let's give Mud a try. I mean, if all these other tunes are as aggressive as they sound, I think Mud's going to blow the roof off of the thing. <laughs> One, two, two, three, three, four, four, cinco, five, <laughs> seis, six, seven, seven, eight, eight, nine, ten, ten. That's short. That's short, but compelling. Well, you know, they took up so much time with that sweet 11 jam that they had to shorten somewhere, so why not compact the mud (laughs) outro? Wow. Uh, Mud, uh, once again, sounds particularly dirty. I am really loving the uh, (laughs) this trip down memory lane to to Seahawks Exhibition Hall, Frankie. Uh, Wow. There's so much more to go through, so let's, uh, let's zip ahead into the frizzle fry set it looks like you have uh quite a laundry list of things for us to listen to on groundhog's day yes groundhog's day is actually my favorite song uh from this concert i think what they achieved with this one is particularly impressive in all aspects um just what they were in the way that they laid down the actual track, no, the studio portions, and then what they did in terms of improvisation. If you listen to all of these soundboards, you will notice that there are some similarities between uh, some of the songs in terms of the lengthier passages. In the case of Groundhog's Day, some of the parts that I've highlighted here, you can actually hear them on other performances, but the way that they perform them here in particular, is absolutely amazing. So we have quite a list to go through. So I was thinking we could begin with a, what I perceive as some kind of buckethead vibe <laughs> in Larry's guitar at one hour with 12 minutes and 40 seconds. Tell me if you agree. All right. How about this? I'm going to, uh, yes, I, I'm going to start there. But we have so many time codes. How about I just read them off and then we play the next two and a half minutes 
<laughs> so people could hear all the Great. things at once. So one twelve forty for the buckethead vibe to one thirteen twenty for bass staccatos. Ooh, very nice. One thirteen twenty six for a bass groove, and one minute and fourteen seconds for a change in tempo. And then we hear at one minute, sorry, one hour fifteen minutes and twenty seconds, bass aggression up to the guitar descending harmony. That's a lot to listen for. I hope you guys have a checklist up there, but uh, we're going to go for it. Three, two, one, and hey, now I got it. Oh, yeah. Tiny noodles. (laughs) Exactly.
I could let this play for a long time. <laughs> this is outstanding. Uh, they are going so many places with this jam. Yeah. Uh, and my gosh. Uh, yeah, those, so the that right one, that one hour, 14 minutes mark, that da-da-da-da, that, that stop stuff that Perfect's doing. And then just each of them are just kind of taking the lead in different parts and taking them to different yes. places here. Uh, wow. This, this is one and, of the... And they, they don't uh, overplay any of the parts, so they really keep you on your toes because just as you're starting to groove with something, they jump right into the next thing. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like they're looking for something, but they're, they're finding gold everywhere they go, at least, you know, in yeah. my opinion. So they, they're like, that was cool, and then now we're going to play this, and this is cool. Then we're going to play this, and this is cool. And, you know, these are, these are those tapes they can go back to, excuse me, to find... Uh, jam material that they might want to use later on. Exactly. And some of this stuff, man. Ooh, boy. And what I really like about this last portion that we're going to hear is that what Les is doing with the bass, uh, it's kind of his signal for Lur and Tim to finish off the track. Uh, you'll hear it. It's really cool. It's a really cool bass part. Here it comes. Isn't that the most outstanding Groundhog's Day you've ever heard? <laughs> it's got to be tops. It's it's in the top something. I don't know. I, I don't have them all listed out, Frankie. However, I want to now, and I think this would be uh, very high on the list. <clears throat> outstanding. They took us so many places. Uh, wow. Uh, I, I don't need, I, How do you even top that? Well, I guess we forward to Mr. Know-It-All uh, at one hour. 24 minutes, 25 seconds, and we're going to hear a portion of Mr. Know-It-All, because why the hell not? What do you got on this one, Frankie? Um, I think it's pretty coherent with the rest of the set. It's a particularly aggressive Mr. Know-It-All. The most interesting portion, and my favorite portion, of course, um, is the second part that we're going to hear, the one that leads up to the heaviest part of the song. Because they do something very peculiar there. But prior to that, let's just get a general taste of what the song sounded like that night. Oops, yes, that is sounding good. It's chaotic, but it's perfectly executed. That's sounding good. 
Uh, and so we're going to now hear the, this is one hour, this is one twenty-five thirty, and we'll go for about 90 seconds. And this is our heavy part, correct? This leads up to the heavy part. And okay. if you listen to many other renditions of Mr. Know-It-All Live, you, I mean, the heavy part, of course, it's brutal, but you can make out the notes, right? You can yeah. hear what Liz is doing. But in this one, it's so distortive and it's so heavy that it's just a wall of noise. Ah, a heavy morass. Brought to you by Primus. of a mosh pit, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that was uh, pretty damn heavy. He, he laid it on extra thick there uh, yeah. in that last iteration. Wow. <clears throat> I don't think he does that every single time. Um, no. Yeah. In, in many uh, occasions, he continues playing the heavy portion with the same tone that he used for the rest of the song. Yeah. So this is quite an interesting exception where he goes into full distortion. He went full something. I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him, man. Yeah, they are bringing it this night. Uh, so that even that Mr. Know-It-All gets in on the action as if it could get heavier. It, I guess it can. Uh, that leads us to uh, one of the heaviest uh iterations of Primus you're ever going to hear, which is the climax of the track Frizzle Fry. An absolute showstopper at any concert where you're lucky to get Frizzle Fry, the climax. Uh, They were lucky enough to get it tonight because they were playing the full record, those little (laughs) devils. Let's hear how they eviled it up tonight.
Yeah, Herb really pushed that when they went into double time there. <clears throat> Excuse me for Larry Solo. That was pretty fantastic. Uh, and man, just bringing it. And and I remember that that it is essentially a drone note there for less, and so he can do a lot of improvisations underneath uh, Larry yeah. Solo, and he does some really yeah. cool stuff there. Um, so there's a lot to listen to uh, in that moment. Man, once again, heavy. Goodness, 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 goodness. Uh, well, that leads us into John to the Fisherman, and um, I'm actually going to uh, forward to the bridge because I just want to keep it heavy. How's that sound, Frankie? That sounds great. Uh, it's always interesting to hear how they're going to approach it because the studio version is so technical and so well executed that when it's translated live, you're always on the lookout for how they're going to do it. Looking forward. Nailed it. think that they did just fine that is just fine what a vintage spunky yet sweet yeah i went to a wine dinner the other night frankie that's why i'm talking like this i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) that's fine (laughs) it's a playful dish uh that was that was really nice they nailed it and you're right that track i always forget about the intricacies of that bridge and when they recreate it live uh and nail it like they did there so impressive. Nicely done. Now, this uh, also is the heaviest Michael Malloy you've ever heard. Ready? No, I'm kidding. This We're going to go ahead to pudding time here. And uh, we're at one hour and 58 minutes on the dot. And uh, what, what are we going to hear here, Frankie? The portion that leads us, well, the bridge that leads us into the heavy part, of course, we're we're really focused on the heavy parts tonight, but it's, I mean, it's inevitable. Some of those are our favorites. So again, what can we say? Particularly aggressive performance of putting time, absolutely on point. Um, let's hear what it sounded like. Oh, that's screaming, Larry. Jeez. Uh, 
that sounded pretty good because when they, uh, I was thinking of the Goblins tour where everything was a little drier, I think, and it didn't have that same resonance as, as what we're hearing right now. And so that that's a welcome uh, return here uh, to this yeah. tune for me. Sounds nice. Uh, and as, as was customary on the Fromage and Hallucinogenetics tours, we get an extended drum solo from Tin Alexander. And if you would forward and this is a this is a particularly long one, particularly long one. And we're going to listen to the whole thing, uh, front and backwards. <laughs> and then, uh, but if you do forward to about 2.13.15, I'm forwarding to 2.13.20 because that's what YouTube wants me to do. And I'm too lazy to be too precise. Let's hear what Tim's cooking up here tonight. Oh, I forgot about those effects he put on for his solos. Yeah. There's a little Wamola. And this is a, a unique performance because we got the Mola. Right, yeah. Let's hear them together. There's some good sounds happening there from the Whamola and from the drums. Yes. And, and I said I'd forgotten that Tim uh, had that effects kit going with his, his drums uh, throughout those solos to really give it a lot of body <clears throat> so that one man is making all this noise, which is fantastic. Uh, and then Les layers up that uh, Whamola and makes some goofy-ass sounds to go with it. And, and perhaps, I mean, this is an exception. Uh, the Whamola didn't happen that regularly. So... yeah. Perhaps we should just take a moment to realize how Ferf was left there on stage for 10 plus minutes night after night to fill that space with a drum solo. And he was always on point. You know? Yeah. The thing about, I mean, I've heard a lot of people criticize drum solos during concerts because, um, they think it's just like this random thing. Like oh, sometimes it tends to be overplaying. Sometimes uh, it doesn't make any sense. But I mean, if you listen to these, if you really sit down and and go through these drum solos that he was playing that after night, first of all, you will not listen to two of them that are completely identical. They are all unique, which oh, yeah. I think speaks volumes about Tim's creativity and skill as a drummer. Secondly, they are massively entertaining. Uh, they keep you on the edge for the 10 minutes or so that they go on. And 
I think it takes a lot, a lot of, how could, like, how can, how could I describe it? I mean, um, it takes a lot of talent and also a lot of confidence as a musician to tackle something like that. No, like just interrupt a set with a drum solo that goes for over 10 minutes and have the audience absolutely love it. That's the qualifier right there to have the audience love it. And that's mm-hmm. the challenge. And I think Herb passed that test every single night. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't think I've ever walked out of a show where somebody went, man, that Herb, not that great. You know, it's, I've never heard that before. <laughs> never. <laughs> he played no. too much. So, uh, this is, uh, that's a testament to him. He, interesting drum solo. Sounds like an oxymoron, but they exist. And, and then right after this drum solo, Frankie, he has to play spaghetti western. Yeah. No, no rest for the Tims. For yeah. Exactly. <laughs> let's let's hear the intro because it's one of our favorite things. stinking herd with the yeah. remnants of the whamola uh and then herb goes into the beat without the hi-hat then he kicks it in with the hi-hat then he gives you some syncopation underneath it and then larry is just cutting through like a knife that was that's <laughs> that ah that's heavenly uh that's a sound ordinance violation for most people playing it really loud in their neighborhoods but i love it that sounds <laughs> wonderful that is chaotic uh, and fantastic. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I don't know what, once again, well, what were they feeling that night? And whatever it was, bottle it and sell it. Um, yeah. God, it's freaking Kratom. This is Kratom in musical form. Did you just um, inadvertently quote Reba? I did unknowingly because I'm not sure what you're even talking about. Uh, the fish song, Reba. Oh, never heard it. Buy it, tag it. <laughs> no, and how dare you accuse me, sir? <laughs> um, you, you're more likely to hear me say, "Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew." Then, yeah. Uh, wow, spaghetti. Uh, we're also going to forward. By the way, that intro uh, starts at two seventeen forty on your time code. Um, also, somebody was kind enough to put the time codes for the uh, start of every single track in the comments. So thank you for thank that. Thank you person. very much. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to forward to two hours, 23 minutes flat uh, for some more spaghetti. Because as we know, this one falls off the rails in a beautiful way.
ending. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's pretty nasty and evil sounding too. Man. In terms of Harold, um we're going to write to the second chorus prior to the breakdown because this is something else that we always look forward to as as fans, right? We want to hear how Liz is going to do the the breakdown. Of course. Uh so second chorus prior to the breakdown is at 2:27:30 and we're going to have a good time with that one. Part of why I really like this one, Frankie, is Lur is uh, so present in the mix, and I'm not saying he's not in other ones, but I, I don't, I think somebody bumped him up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I agree with you. It's true. Yeah, uh, and more Lur is a good thing. Uh, there's, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with more Lur. Like you could just keep piling him and on. He, he, you know what? Yes. He's yes, like please. gravy. Lur is like gravy. The more you have, the happier you are. Yes, please. Um, even if it's overflowing off your plate onto the floor, the dog's getting it, and the dog shouldn't have that much salt, it, it's going to be fine. The dog's going to be fine. <laughs> okay? Just chill. Let the dog have its gravy. <laughs> this I don't know where this is going, Frankie. We better go to the breakdown. We're at two minutes. Excuse me. We're at two hours, 30 minutes, and 30 seconds for the jam. A taste of the uh, jam. Yeah, we're going to – a taste of the jam. Dip your little finger in. Lots of food metaphors today, <laughs> which I guess, you know, Primus does it too. Tim and Learn, or excuse me, Tim and Les 
are in such lockstep there. They're feeling each other out very well and making a great foundation. And Larry gets to solo over that madness. What, what a I've treat. I've said that the, the Herald Jam portion is Pink Floyd-esque. There's, they were starting to go there, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's where... Uh, that's where Les has gone a lot in the last few years. <laughs> going, yeah. going that Floydian psychedelic route, uh, proggy route. Fantastic, once again. Uh, now so, they could have, they could have yeah. picked any song for the encore, and fortunately, they went out on a high note, emphasizing the aggression present throughout the show with none other than Jerry was a race car driver. <clears throat> Yeah, why not go out on a high note with one of your more beloved tunes, uh, which is quite up-tempo. You know, I've always wondered about this tour, actually, because it seems like Jerry was a, a, just a tad slower than on the record. That's not a criticism by any stretch, uh, but it sounds pretty good at that uh, tempo, as well as yes. what's on the record. I, I, I don't think it suffers from being a tad slower. Uh, and who knows? It could be the difficulty of playing it live. It could be wanting to get it right. Who knows? But that's that's the uh, tempo at which they play it and have really for the last 20 years. So let's forward to our last snippet, 241.28. Got to end on a heavy note. how you end it wow um first Incredible, of all right? I, I love the vocal delivery 22 years old <laughs> oh man that was great <laughs> uh he was kind of channeling his radio voice there 22 years old uh that was pretty cool and then hey and on a heavy note uh this Exhibition Hall, Seahawks Exhibition Hall, June 2nd, 2004, uh, front to back is just insane. a tour de force. And if they took this soundboard and cleaned it up for a live release, now I know lately Les has been talking about there's a bunch of Primus live recordings on the way uh, to be released officially uh, for public consumption. You could just bottle this show uh, and gussy it up and release it. You're going to make a lot of people happy. Bag it. Tag it. <laughs> Boil it, mash it, stick it in a stew. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we we danced around this uh, show for quite some time talking about its legendary status, and I, I hope we shed some light on it for you uh, primates out there. This is the one. This is Frankie's top live show, correct? Yes, definitely. If I if if I had to pick just one Primus show to listen to for the rest of my life, it would be this one for sure. I don't think you can go wrong. Good choice. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put it into consideration. That's for certain. <laughs> Uh, so once again, you can find that soundboard on YouTube, Primus Seattle, Washington, 6204. We'll get you there. Uh, there's all the time codes. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll post the time codes on our socials as well. If you want to hear those highlights as well, that's all we've got for Seahawks exhibition hall. We finally covered it. We'll have more LSD for you at another time. That's legendary show dissections at another time. Frankie. Thank you so much for putting that together for us. That was a blast. Thank you, Josh. It was fantastic going down memory lane with that incredible show. Primates, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We'll have a special uh, something for you later in the week. And then next week, we're back to Les Claypool and the Holy Mackerel presents Highball with the Devil with The Awakening. Later days. Willie Mace. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.